John 12, I love this passage that we're in here this morning. Uh, now, it tells us right off the bat that it was six days before the Passover. That's significant. We're moving into this very important period of Jesus' life because if you've tracked along here, you'll know that we're six days out now from Jesus willingly coming and laying his life down on the cross, sacrificing himself for the salvation of the entire world. It's, a, it's an important time. It's, a, it's an appointed time that Jesus has himself been preparing for this very moment. It's the, the very reason why he came to this world. This is all preordained of the Lord. And you'll know, again, as we've been going through the Gospel of John, there's been references to that, that it was not yet time. It wasn't time. Because everything's being led up to this important time of Passover season. That's only six days away. People are making right now preparation for this. And remember, John, the writer of this gospel, has said earlier in John chapter 1, verse 29, that he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So John continuously kind of reminded Jesus of his very mission and purpose for coming to this world, that he was to be this Passover Lamb. And that was very significant because Passover was a, a super important feast. It was one of the three main feasts of the Israelites that they were to, to remember and commemorate every year along with Pentecost and Tabernacles. But Passover was, was unique because it predated the law. This came before Moses and the law was given. This went all the way back to when they were in slavery and bondage in Egypt. And so Passover was this remembering of God's deliverance of his, of his people out of bondage and slavery. And it flowed into the Feast of Unleavened Bread, where they were to do it. They were to remove all leaven from their house, right? And leaven in the Bible is a picture of sin. And so we see Jesus now coming and becoming this ultimate Passover lamb, the very one that would be sacrificed in our place, by his bloodshed, would forgive us of our sin and remove sin from us. So Passover was very important. And Passover all reminds us of the work that Jesus has come to do for us. And we're reminded now in this passage that we're looking at of the worship that Jesus now deserves because of what he has indeed done for us. So we're going to look at a few different things today regarding worship. We're going to look at the people of worship. We're going to see the object of our worship, the cost of our worship, and the result of our worship. The people of worship, the object of our worship, the cost of worship, and then the result of our worship. So first of all, let's look at the, the people of worship here, or the people that worship. It says in verse 1 again, that six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus was who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead. And there they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Now this account is, is significant also because it's recorded in two other gospels. Matthew's gospel, chapter 26, and in Mark's gospel, chapter 14. We see uh, the same account being shared with us. And, and John oftentimes didn't write Similar stuff to what was written in the other Gospels. John is writing with a very specific purpose, and that was to reveal Jesus as the Son of God, and that by believing uh, that he is the Son of God, believing in his name, you'll have life in his name. And so John's writing for a very specific purpose, right? So there's not a lot of parallel material that we see between John's Gospel and then the three synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But this one is in 
Matthew and Mark's gospel. So it's, it's important, it's significant for us here. Now, there's a similar account in Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 7, of a woman that comes and anoints the feet of Jesus. It's a different account, different people, different time, uh, different circumstances and situations. So it's, some people have lumped it in as the same, but it's not the same account here. It's a different uh, anointing of Jesus that takes place under different circumstances. But nevertheless, what we see from the other accounts is that this is not happening in, in Martha and, and Lazarus and, and Mary's home as it seems to be, as these are the kind of the key people here. But it tells us in, in Matthew and Mark's gospel that this is happening at Simon's house. Simon, it says, who was the leper. Simon the leper. So it's not happening in this home that we think it is. But we see here that Simon, most likely, is not any longer Simon the leper, but Simon who once was a leper, right? Because if you're a leper and you're inviting people over to your house, well, most likely it's going to be a party of one, right? Nobody's going to be coming if you're a leper. They're like, I'm staying away. You're, you're unclean. You're gonna, this isn't going to be good for me, so I'm not coming. But here we see that there's a whole lot of people. Now, check this out. We've got Jesus. We've got his disciples. There's 13. We've got um, Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. That's 16. Am I tracking so far? Because I'm doing this off the top of my head, and addition usually doesn't, you know, simple math doesn't really compute well for me. And you got Simon, which totals now? How many? See, I've lost you all already, right? 17. Thank you. Jamie, did you get that right? Here, I'll give you a candy later. Okay, you win the prize. 17. So this is a big crowd going on. This isn't people afraid of a leper. So we see Simon here. He's a changed life now. And so is Lazarus for that matter. John makes special or gives special attention to say, listen, it's this Lazarus who had been dead. John identifies him that way, right? This Lazarus who had been dead. And he goes on to say that he was one of those who sat at the table with Jesus. Now I love this. I love this because here's two guys now, Simon and Lazarus, who had their lives completely altered, changed, radically um, made new through the power and the work of Jesus Christ, right? That's so good. And now we see them sitting with Jesus in just sweet fellowship, communion with the Lord, breaking bread together. This is what's so wonderful about it, is that Jesus has not saved us just so we can be saved, and go about on a merry way. Well, thank you for doing the work, Jesus. I'm just going to go live my life now. We'll see you up in heaven. Just say, no, listen, I've saved you, but I've saved you so that we can continue on in fellowship and relationship and enjoying communion together. Jesus desires to be with you and meet with you and have regular communion and fellowship with you. Jesus hasn't saved you just for what's in store. He saved you so that you can be in the present with him now and enjoying life in him. Isn't that great? Don't you love that? And I pray that we are people that are taking time just to be with Jesus because that's why he saved you. It's not just to experience the glories of heaven for eternity in a future day, which is going to be more than awesome, but it's so that we can have our present in a greater reality as we enjoy his presence with us today. And Jesus is there with them. Change lives, but he's drawing them in. These people are inviting him in as well to commune together, together. And I love that. Tells us also that Martha was there. Martha's serving. And I love this. Martha served. 
and Lazarus sat. Martha served, Lazarus sat. I think that's significant because here's the deal. Our role in the church today, I think is that of of just, you know, serving, ministering. But there's going to come a day when we'll be raised up and seated with Christ in the heavenly places. I think Lazarus becomes a picture of that. He was dead, John says. This guy was dead, but he's been raised up. Been raised up and he's sitting. And one day we're going to be raised up. It tells us in Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. See, we're going to one day be enjoying the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we're going to be face to face in in fellowship with Jesus. The marriage supper of the Lamb, just celebrating together with Him. All of our work on earth is going to be done and we're going to be enjoying the incredible rest with him as we are seated at the table with our Savior, Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. Don't lose heart. Keep on being faithful. Though we might be at work today, though we have a role of serving today, don't lose heart. In fact, it tells us in Galatians 6, 9, let us not grow weary while doing good for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Now it's talking about the fruit that will come from that. But listen, let me take that one step further. There's going to come a day when we're going to be seated with Christ in the heavens. When all the labor, all the work, all the things that we've done, we'll look back on and go, man, it was all worth it for what we have now in Christ. We'll soon enter into that blessed rest. And in the meantime, we take time to gather with one another. And more importantly, to gather around Jesus Christ as we are doing here today. This whole scene that we see in John 12, I think, is kind of a fitting picture of just the church in a sense as a whole. We got some changed lives in Simon and Lazarus. They're looking to honor Jesus and thank him for all he's done. I pray that as we come together, because of the work he's done in us and for us, that we just continue on giving thanks to the Lord and honoring him for what he's done, that we come and we praise him and and then we be a support to one another. Then we got Martha, who's tending to the needs. And that's such an important aspect within the church. I, I think too often... We're tempted to look at Mary and Martha and think Martha was just too distracted, whereas Mary was all about devotion, and, and that was so good. Now, there was a time when Martha was criticized for that. Because why? Because she was complaining. She was serving and complaining. She's like, Jesus, tell Mary to help me. I'm all alone here. I'm doing all the work. And she's just sitting around doing nothing. Tell her to help me. She's complaining. She's not serving from a place of just going, Lord, I'm just... She's bellyaching over this. But here we see in John 12 now, as Martha has grown in her relationship with the Lord, I believe grown in her faith, she's serving without complaining. And that's an important aspect within the church. I am so thankful for the many people that serve at Riverside here. I'm so thankful for people that come early in the morning. They're getting things set up. They're greeting at the door. They're making coffee. How many people are excited and thankful for people that come and make coffee for you? Amen, right? And people go, oh man, I can't serve in the church. I don't, I wouldn't know. Man, making coffee, you're going to have so many more friends if you're just making coffee because people are going to be so happy that you're doing it. They're going to be like, man, I like that person. They're making coffee. Man, that's good stuff. Coffee may not always be good stuff, but the fact that they're serving is is good stuff, right? So I'm just thankful and we need it. Let me tell you, we need people that are taking part in the body Christ serve. And the Bible talks about how every single one of us have those roles that we serve. We all, you know, give those, those giftings and callings and we give to the, to the benefit 
and the help of the church, the support of the church. We all have a, a part to play in that. It's important. And here's the great thing, is that Martha now is serving. And I believe that even in this serving, that's becoming that form of worship. And we're going to be talking a lot today about worship, as you've seen here in our outline. But this becomes an act of worship as we do it unto the Lord. See, I think there needs to be that balance between that of, of, of work and worship. And as we begin to serve and we do it unto the Lord, we do it for the Lord, guess what? That becomes an act of worship. That becomes something the Lord receives and is blessed because of it. Oh, let us be those that aren't being like old Martha, serving and complaining, but like new Martha here, John 12 Martha, that says, I'm going to serve and I'm going to do it unto the Lord and for the Lord. Because there's something that the Lord is now glorified in and through. He gets the praise and the glory for it. That work becomes worship unto the Lord. Well, we move on to Mary now. And we begin to look at the object of our worship. Look at verse 3. What we read here, it says this. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. So Mary comes, and she comes ready to give to Jesus. And to give a lot to Jesus. Her focus is always on Jesus. Whenever we see Mary in scriptures, the three times that she becomes prominent in scriptures, we will find Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's looking to Jesus as the object of her worship and devotion. She's putting everything else aside, saying, Jesus, I just want to be in your presence. I want to sit at your feet. I want to take in what you have for me. Mary was a worshiper. Now, the very word worship, according to Webster's Dictionary, means to honor or show reverence, to regard with great extravagant respect, honor, or devotion. According to the Enhanced Strong's Lexicon, it means to kiss the hand towards one in, in token of reverence. That's just showing that kind of, of love and honor, respect, and worship. And Mary was doing just that. Because she comes with a demonstration of great extravagant respect and devotion here. She's, she's seen Jesus do an incredible work in, in raising her brother up from the dead. I mean, that was just amazing, right? The seventh of Jesus' signs that he did, the miracles that he did, the greatest of them in defeating you know, death and bringing life where there was once death and decay. Amazing. And so Mary, no doubt, is just in awe of what Jesus has done. She's in awe of just the greatness of Jesus. And Mary has spent time at the feet of Jesus, taking in his very word and just hearing the heart of Jesus. I think maybe Mary, more than most, understood who Jesus really was and what he was all about. You see, the more that we grow in our understanding of Jesus, I believe the more that we're going to grow as worshipers of him. The more that we put Jesus in that place of just awe and, and, and see the greatness of who he is, the more that we're going to grow in our awe of who he is. And, and that leads us into that worship of Jesus. How do we do that? Well, like Mary, we sit at his feet and we take in his word. We get into the word of God that all points us to Jesus, that reveals the very heart, the work of Jesus, the greatness of Jesus. And as we get into the word of God, suddenly we're beginning to grow in our understanding of who he is, his grace for us, his love for us, the sacrifice he made for us. 
and we grow in our understanding of Jesus to where we now grow in our worship of the Lord. If you have found yourself to be dry in just that worship of the Lord, may I encourage you, get into the word of God and begin to grow in your understanding of who Jesus is and allow him to speak to your heart through his word that you might in turn begin to grow as a worshiper of the Lord. Because I don't believe you'll be able to stop it from happening you won't be able to prevent it because as you begin to see the greatness of jesus and all he's done for you it's going to move you into saying jesus thank you i praise you you are so good so awesome lord i can't help but just to come and lift up your name and praise and worship that's what we see developing in in mary's life here see our worship is all wrapped up in jesus he's the object of our worship and we've all been recipients of his mighty work in our lives. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're going, well, what, is, what has Jesus really done for me? I mean, you just have to go back to the cross. Maybe you don't even know what that's all about. Listen, Jesus came to this world. Well, let me just put it this way. He first of all made us because he loves us and he wanted a relationship with us. Sin came in and wrecked all that. We're all born into sin, which has caused us to be separated from God. But God sent his son Jesus into this world to die on a cross, to pay the price and the penalty for that sin, to remove that sin so that we might be brought into right relationship with God once again. And that happens through our faith being put in Jesus and acknowledging our sin and our need for a savior, which is only Jesus Christ. And when we put our trust in him, he forgives us of our sin. He removes it and replaces it with his righteousness by which we're able now to stand rightly in God and with God. That's what he's done for each and every person. Have you received that? Have you believed it? Because when you have, then you never are short of reasons to worship Jesus. We never are at a loss to find a reason to come and just praise his name every day. That we have life. We can wake up saying, thank you, Lord, for life today, life eternal, that you saved me, that you're with me, that you love me. God, may all my worship and praise be directed to you today. May you be the object of my worship. Well, as we move on, we look at the cost of our worship. And Mary, see, doesn't just come with lip service here now. It's very easy to come and sing the songs and yet be so far from our heart being engaged in it, right? I mean, let's face it. I'm sure that we've all come to church at some point or another. Now, we've sung the songs, right? We've been singing it out, but our mind has been elsewhere, right? We've been like, oh, man, what should I do for lunch today? Oh, there's so many options. Or we're thinking, how come that person didn't say hi to me? Are they angry at me? And we're just, we're elsewhere. We're thinking, and, and by the way, if I don't say hi to you, it's not because I'm angry at you. It's just because I don't like you. But there's, it's, no, I'm teasing. I love you all very much, so it's great. But we can get distracted. We can have our minds where we're just going through the motions. We're paying lift service, but really we're not involved in it, right? We're not involved in it. And Jesus sees that. Jesus knows that. And, and, and worship isn't just all about singing anyways. Let me just say that. It's a big part of it. But worship doesn't begin and end with, with singing. And we oftentimes... We oftentimes kind of use that as the gauge of worship. Oh, how well we sang, how well the, the worship sounded. And I'm thankful that we've got great worship teams. We've got great people involved in our worship teams that love to worship. And they do a phenomenal job, and I'm so thankful for it. But listen, if we just had a person up here 
leading us in worship without any instruments, without any music, I mean, we can still come and worship Jesus. Because it's not about the sound, it's about our heart being given to the Lord. It's about coming and saying, I want to I wanna bring who I am, what I have, and just bring it to you, Lord, in, in devotion and honor. And Mary comes bringing something to the Lord as a show of how much she's devoted to him. She's a pound of very costly oil, a spikenard, it says. Now, that's something that we're looking at going, what does that have to do with worship? Well, let me just get into this here as we look at the cost of our worship because nard is the oil of the nard plant, which grows in India. The oil comes from the root and spike of the plant, which is why it's sometimes called spike nard. So, in other words, it comes from India. It's something that's imported in. And because it's imported in, it, it has a high value to it. This is a costly thing as we see here the oil was bottled up sometimes the oil was passed down from generation to generation as a sort of family heirloom early in the first century pliny the elder remarked that the best ointment is preserved in alabaster and remember as the other accounts say that she comes with this alabaster flask a very costly oil it tells us in verse 5 that this oil could have been sold for 300 denarii 300 denarii that is that is a lot. That's two times as much as 150 denarii. It's expensive stuff. Right? Now, a denarii, one denarii was worth a, an average day's wage. Okay? A day's wage. So if you're talking through a denarii, we're talking basically a year's salary. How many people would be willing to come and say, Lord, I love you so much and you've done so much for me. I want to bring a year's salary to you. Don't, no show of hands, all right? Because I know you're all faking it if you do. Because this is something that many of us aren't going to want to do, right? But this is what Mary does. This props is something that was being passed down as maybe even a, a, a type of inheritance or something or something reserved for something very special. But yet Mary says, Jesus, you deserve this. I want to honor you in, in a way that demonstrates my heart, my desire for you, that there's nothing greater than I possess than you. And so I'm, I'm willing to give this over to you, Lord. She comes and she gives it to Jesus. This was a costly act of worship. But evidently Mary saw in Jesus one who is worth everything that she could give. And that's a big part of defining worship. It's, it's giving worth or ascribing worthiness. And Mary understood that Jesus was more than worth this gift or sacrifice. Her love for him was, was great. And she recognized his love for her was even greater. See, there's a certain extravagance that is accompanied with true love. There's a recklessness in love that refuses to count the cost. And Mary exhibits this in her act of devotion and offering. David did the same thing when he was buying the threshing floor from Ornan. Remember what took place there? Ornan was ready to give it to David saying, oh, you're the king. Just take this plot of land. Use it. But David's like, I'm not going to do that. He says in 1 Chronicles 21, 24, No, but I will surely buy it for the full price, for I will not take what is yours for the Lord, nor offer burnt offerings with that which costs me nothing. They said, I don't want a freebie. When it comes to living my life for the Lord, when it comes to offering up to the Lord, I don't want just a freebie. I want to do that which means something, that costs something. I want to show the Lord that he's worth it. 
that he's deserving of this. And so Mary comes along and she pours this out to Jesus. Now worship may also cost us in other ways. It may not just be something that's expensive. It may be something that may cost us our pride or dignity or even our own comfort. See, as Mary comes to Jesus, what does she do? She begins to anoint his feet. Now, we have to get out of our minds kind of the modern day assembling together for a meal where we're all sitting at a table, we're all chairs pulled in, sitting upright, everything's great and everything's proper. In this day, they didn't eat like that. They'd have a very low table and the people would recline at the table. They would kind of lay down on their elbow with their heads at the table and their feet would be away from the table. And that was important because in this day of dirt roads, open-toed sandals, you want your feet furthest away from the food than anything else is, right? You don't want that feet anywhere near the food. So they would recline. And let me just say that that probably just aided also in just the digestion, just the flow of the food. Try that next time you go somewhere to a restaurant. Just lay down and just see how much more you can pack in there. It's quite, it's quite wise. It's quite good. So here they are. And so we're not seeing Mary, you know, crawling under the table. The, so is this... Whose feet are these? Are these yours, Jesus? And she can't really see what's going on. She's not under the table bumping into people. She's very easily able to come up, you know, behind Jesus with the feet outstretched and begin to minister to the Lord and begin to worship him there. Now, what's interesting is that it was the, the position of the lowest slave to come and tend to the feet of others, guests in their master's home or, or to the family that they were serving. It was the position of the lowest slave to have to wash the feet. Because again, as these people are walking through dirt roads, sandals, not having the luxury of frequent showers, I mean, that was a very dirty, lowly job to have. There was, this wasn't the position for somebody to say, with great pride. Oh, I'm the foot washer, everybody. That's not something you announce. But here's Mary coming now. And, and she's not letting pride get in the way. She's humbling herself. And then to, as it says there, that she wiped his feet with her hair. See, in that day too, women would walk around with their, with their hair put up. For a woman to walk around in public with their hair down, that was not something you typically see. In fact, it oftentimes implicated kind of loose living. Maybe a bit of an immoral woman to have their hair down. Bit of a rebel. So Mary says, I'm not concerned with public perception here. I'm not going to let what other people think about me get in the way of me serving and worshiping Jesus in this way. She just comes completely in humility and sacrifice to Jesus. How often are we willing to come with the attitude, with that kind of attitude to worship Jesus? How often are we concerned with what others think? Have we allowed ourselves to come as broken vessels that are poured out to Jesus in love and devotion? Do we allow pride to get in the way? of us just surrendering our all to Jesus? Maybe you're someone that sits here and doesn't want to sing because you think you're not good enough or can't carry a tune or you don't want to raise your hands in worship because you think it looks weird. Can I just say that it's worship that is going to cost you something that is often the sweetest worship of all? Let me say that again. 
It's often the worship that is going to cost you something that is often the sweetest worship of all. Because you're showing that Jesus is worth it. I'm not saying if you sing off tune that you need to be the loudest person in the room. We're not auditioning for the voice here. We're not, you're not, we're not comparing you to any other you know, thing here. But we're saying, just give it over to the Lord. I, 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 I'm astonished when I see people that are sitting in a worship service and they're just like a statue. Their lips aren't even moving. It's like they've been glued shut. They're just sitting there and they're just non-responsive. And they might have their reasons and their excuses. But let me just say, man, we should of all people Understanding what Jesus has done for us, be ready to sing out with our hearts, whether you can sing or not, whether you're worried about what people might think or not, it ultimately doesn't matter because we're giving it all unto Jesus who is deserving and worthy of it all. And we want to lift up the name of Jesus and the Bible says that we, we need to come together and we need to sing out to the Lord, sing a new song to the Lord. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Are we doing that? Let it out. We're not holding any secret, you know, thing here of saying, well, we're just, you know, secretly in our heart, just singing out to the Lord. No, we want to we show our worship and our devotion to the Lord. It's not a show. It's not something we do just outwardly. But if our hearts are right with the Lord, then that should be what's coming out. And sometimes we just need to humble ourselves to do so. You see, worship often comes through brokenness. Are you willing to be broken before the Lord? Are you coming and holding everything in? You see, that alabaster flask that Mary came to Jesus, oftentimes was a a sealed bottle with a long neck on it. Oftentimes, they would have to be broken to release the contents. Are we willing to be broken so that we can see the contents released of our heart and praise and adoration to the Lord? So often we want to keep it all bottled in and worship is hindered as a result. Are we willing to be broken and let those contents be revealed and poured out in humility, in brokenness, in sacrifice to Jesus, in honor of Him? Well, let's look lastly at the result of our worship. Notice it said at the end of verse 3, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. That's so cool. You see, there was a wonderful aroma that permeated that home. W. McDonald said, no house is so filled with pleasant aroma as the house where Jesus is given his rightful place. Now, not only was there a sweet fragrance in the house, but remember what Mary did? She wiped his feet with her hair. So in other words, when Mary left, wherever she went, she was taking that fragrance with her. She would pass by people and all of a sudden people would be like, what's that smell? That smells so good. It's really overriding all the BO that's around here right now. It would just cause people to take notice. That is so sweet. And it would cause people to go, oh, that's Mary. She's just been with Jesus. She's just been worshiping Jesus. You see, that's what happens as we spend time with Jesus. There's to be that impact and effect that we have on other people to where people can say, what gives? What's different about you? There's something tangible about you that, and we just get to say, it's just that I've been with Jesus. 
We should be leaving a mark, getting people's attention by our devotion of Jesus and the joy that we have in him. Does our, does our love for Jesus permeate our environment? Because it should. It says in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14 to 16, Now, thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? So as we worship Jesus and spend time at his feet may cause us to carry with us that sweet aroma that causes others to take note. That it'd be that aroma that's leading to life. We're going to have an effect one way or another on people. To some It will lead them on into a greater awareness of Jesus, pointing them to Jesus and leading them on into life. But the reality is, for some, it's going to have the opposite effect. As we see happening even in our account with this man, Judas Iscariot. That's another result of worship. Is that there will be some that will be critical. And they will try to put you down for what you do. But that should never hinder us in our devotion to Jesus. Look at what happened with Judas here. It's a great example of this aroma leading some even to death. Verse 4 says, But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. So here we have these first recorded words of Judas. And from what we see, it seems that Judas was never a true follower of Jesus. Some people look at Judas and go, oh man, so tragic. Here he was just following Jesus. Everything was great and hunky-dory, but he must have drawn the, you know, the small straw and he had to become the betrayer of Jesus and too bad he had to perish. No, it's that this was his very character all along. It seems that he was never a true follower or disciple of Jesus because it says that he was the keeper in the money money box and he would oftentimes help himself to it. So he's looking at all this going, oh, Jesus. And, And notice here, he's veiling this with this kind of great religiosity in a sense. Oh, Jesus, this money. It it could have been used to help missions or to do ministry. We could have done great things with this. But he's only saying it for selfish reasons. Because he benefited from it. He was the keeper of the money bag. He used to help himself to it. This is not the person that you want counting your offering at the end of the service. This is the guy that you want kept far away from the money here. But Judas was this kind of person. And he's making it sound like his, his reason was so spiritual. Don't you know what I could have done? With, I mean, what we could have done with his money. That's Judas right there. Making it sound good, but he's just in it for himself. You see, it's important that you don't let others discourage you or mislead you in what you feel God calling you to do. Judas kept this very hidden. The other disciples never even saw this. He kept this very hidden. They thought he was one of them. In fact, when Jesus, in just a few days, will be sitting down at the Last Supper. One of you is going to betray me. You would think everybody's going to go, well, yeah, I mean, obviously it's Judas. I mean, look, he's walking around. He's got new watches all the time, new sandals, new hat. Where's he getting this from? He's keeper of the money bag. We know. 
No, they don't get it. They don't know. He's kept this from other people. It can be kept so secret, which is why we need to be sure that we're not letting other people discourage us because we don't know their heart. We don't know where they're coming from. Don't let others discourage you or mislead you in what you feel God calling you to do. Judas said in Matthew 26, 8, in that same account recorded by Matthew, it says that Judas said, why this waste? Why this waste? But understand something here. Nothing that we do for Jesus will ever be a waste. Isn't that great? Whatever you do, the Bible says, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Because whatever you do unto the Lord will never be a waste. It will never be a waste. When we give to him out of a pure motive, nothing will be wasted that is given to Jesus. And here we see Jesus so wonderfully now stand up for Mary. He says in verse 7, But Jesus said, let her alone. She has kept this for the day of my burial. For the poor you have with you always, but me you do not have always. Jesus saw this as fulfilling an important role. That it was for the day of his burial. Remember when Jesus was crucified, it was leading up to the Sabbath, and they're trying to hasten the death because Sabbath was coming. And, and so Jesus was taken down at the cross after he gave up his spirit. He's placed in the tomb. He didn't have the proper burial or embalming procedure done. That's why the women were coming to the tomb a few days later when it was time to embalm him. But Jesus wasn't there. He didn't need it. But Mary comes prior to all this to give him honor, to give him due to, to say, we just want to anoint you and bless you for what you're about to do. Even though she may not have understood fully what was coming. Jesus says, she's done this for a specific person or purpose for the day of my burial. And Jesus says something here in verse 8 <clears throat> that we can easily misconstrue so jesus is saying you know well you don't need to worry about doing all these things to help others just focus on me he's not saying that the poor will always be around so you can neglect them he's simply saying that we need to keep things in perspective and we need to have the right priorities doing ministry should not replace our coming to the feet of jesus in worship and devotion so oftentimes we think well i'm doing lots of great stuff Oh yeah, I haven't had time to really, you know, spend time with the Lord in prayer or reading the word. I haven't had that quiet time with the Lord in, in a while. But look at all that I'm doing, Jesus. Listen, doing ministry can never replace our coming to the Lord in, in, in worship and devotion. And ministry must always flow out of that place of intimacy with Jesus, spending time with Jesus, being in fellowship, being in relationship with Jesus. That's where ministry flows out of. And if we're bypassing that, we're going to miss it. Jesus says, listen, here's the priority right now. I'm here just a few more days. Again, Mary's chosen the wiser thing. It's not that you dismiss all the needs, but right now, while Jesus is there, spend time with him. And we're thankful that we have Jesus always. He's never far from us. May we daily be spending time with him. And allowing all that we do, ministry, to flow out of that place of intimacy with Jesus. Well, let's wrap this up here, verse 9. Now, a great many of the Jews knew that he was there. And they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. Tragic. This is crazy. 
Notice what we see here. We see the sin of these religious leaders is growing. Because first, all their attention is, we got to kill Jesus. But now, we see that this sin is kind of growing. It's compounding. Now they're saying, we don't need to just kill Jesus. We also got to kill Lazarus. Because Lazarus is not helping us out here. Everybody's seen what Jesus has done for Lazarus. And they're believing in Jesus. The religious leader should have been getting it by now. Okay, we get it. Jesus, you're the son of God. But again, they're in it for themselves. And now this sin is compounding itself. It's gone from let's kill one person to kill or to say let's kill two people now. Let's do whatever we need to keep things going in what we want to see happen. Sin has a way of compounding itself. Just ask David and Bathsheba who commits adultery and says, well, let's see what we need to do to take care of this. Let's kill Uriah, her husband. That should kind of ease the tension. David just kept adding more woe to himself. If we're not willing to deal with these things and and to take it to the Lord, we're never going to, we're never going to get to where we need to. Sin has a way of compounding, so that's why we need to come in, in confession. That's even a part of worship, coming and confessing, laying it down before the Lord, uncovering these things to say, Jesus, I want to be in a right place with you that I might lift up praise and worship of you. And you know, just as sin has a way of compounding itself, such is kind of the way of, even in devotion, sometimes we excuse our lack of it because we're too busy. We've got a lot on the go. We're trying to work hard and, and just, you know, earn a good living to support our family. We make up excuses to say, well, I just haven't had time to really be with the Lord. As one day goes by without time with Jesus, it easy turns into two and then a week, sometimes a month or a year. And it has a way of compounding itself. Don't allow that neglect of Jesus to be compounded in your life. Take time to be with him. Show him his worth. Worship him. This is both the priority and the foundation for a healthy and happy life. Don't let anything get in the way. I'm going to invite the worship team to come up. And we want to do just that here today. We want to take some time just to worship the Lord. And maybe you're here today and you've been held back. Maybe you haven't counted the cost of worship in the sense of saying... I want to lay down my own pride, my own perception or, or, or view of public perception. What are they going to think? Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I need to lay that down. I've been letting that hold me back. Or, or maybe Jesus has been clouded out as being the object of your worship. You've allowed other things to get in the way and you've not seen him clearly. Maybe you just need to take time today and say, Jesus... I need a fresh just view of you, revelation of you, just time with you. We want to take some time and just spend with the Lord here today. We're going to do something a little bit different. We usually have our prayer teams up here to pray with you. I'm going to ask our prayer teams just to make themselves available in the back. And what we want to do here is we just want to open up the front here as a place of just coming and and bowing down at you maybe, maybe you don't want to bow maybe you just want to stand but you just want to say I just want to come I want to get out of my seat I want to get out of my place of comfort I want to count the cost here today and I want to come and worship Jesus and I remember growing up in church where these times at the we call it the times at the altar here were just precious times because it's those times that we are truly showing that surrender to Jesus 
I'm going to ask you to stand right now. And if you're here today and you need prayer, we'll have people available in the back to pray with you. Maybe, maybe you just need help in just getting through some of those things. But if you're here today and you're saying, I, I just, I want to grow in my worship of Jesus. I want to grow in my understanding of Jesus. I, I've been held back. I've been worried about what others might think or just my own pride. Maybe it's time to say, I'm going to let that go. And I'm going to take that step out. I'm going to come to the front and just worship Jesus. Maybe you just want to kneel down. And we'll make this an altar here today and just kneel down in the front or you just want to stand and maybe you just want to lift up your hands to the Lord and worship and say, man, I haven't done that before. But lifting your hands is just that form of surrender. It's that form of saying, I need you, Jesus. It's just giving it all to Him. Let's make this a place of worship here today. And as we sing, I invite you to come down. If that's you today, that you want to take that step, I encourage you to do so.